0: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the My Little Eater podcast. Today, I have a very special guest with me. Her name is Dr. Inkirika Orajika, and she's a pediatrician, and we met on Instagram, and this is actually the first time we're, <laughs> we're kind of chatting um, off Instagram, which is really cool. She's amazing, and she has so much information today. We're actually going to be diving into the topic of RSV. And why it's so dangerous, the symptoms, what to look for, how to treat it, all that good stuff. And I know that it's been kind of a crazy, you know, year and a half, I think maybe almost two years with COVID and the virus that is COVID that has kind of taken over our lives and now it's kind of, you know, life as usual to a certain extent, and I feel like we're starting to see, at least from my knowledge anyway, a lot more cases of RSV come back up. So I really wanted to chat about this topic today, and I'm so excited to be able to do it. So welcome to the podcast, Dr. Nurika.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me, very, I love following you and your tips on babies and feeding, so I'm excited to talk to you
0: today about RSV. Amazing. So can you start by letting us all know a little bit about yourself and maybe a little bit about your background and your specialty and all that good stuff?
1: Sure. So like you said, currently, I'm Dr. Rajaka. I'm a pediatrician, but I practice only in the emergency room, which is a little bit different from like clinic pediatricians. So currently I work in a busy children's emergency department that's in Columbus, Ohio. I um, actually grew up in Nigeria, did my medical school all the way in Nigeria, and then moved to the US for my master's in public health in Columbia University, and then subsequently my pediatric residence. So after that, I was all in New York. Then I moved to Columbia, um, Columbus, Ohio, where I currently live with three kids, my husband and practicing in emergency room. Crazy, but I love it.
0: That is crazy. You've
1: moved so many
0: times. I have moved probably five times in the past, like six, seven years. (laughs) <laughs> wow. Well, you've seen a lot. I know you see a lot on the daily as well, and you're definitely the person to talk to about this. So I'm I'm really excited. I think the first thing that would be best to do is just let's define what RSV is and talk a little bit about why it's something that we should be kind of concerned or on the lookout for.
1: Yeah. So RSV is actually a short form of <clears throat> a virus called respiratory syncytial virus, which is a very common virus, not only in North America, but around the world. And the reason is it's one of those viruses, the one that younger kids can contract, makes them really sick, but it's also common that even older kids can get it and just give them a little bit of cold. So it's because as you get like older than two, it starts to become less like to make you sicker, but it's still always there in our environment and continues to get transmitted to younger ones.
0: Gotcha. Okay. And so what is kind of the danger around getting this virus? What, what are the symptoms and what could it do to a, a baby, a toddler, maybe a younger or school-aged child even?
1: Yeah, of course. So when we take a look at RSV, I think one of the bad complications, one of the severe symptoms it can give you is what we call bronchiolitis, which a lot of other viruses can also give you. So let's talk about the younger child. If you take a look at the lungs of a baby and also like the tree, I want you to take a look at it upside down right? So the lungs that most people see on top, but there's also called something called the bronchioles. So in younger kids, it's pretty small. It can only take a few, maybe sips of mucus, but also does not get as inflamed when they are sick. Mm -hmm. So what RSV does is one, it makes a lot of secretions. It makes a lot of mucus plugs. So those tiny bronchioles, those tiny trees get so blocked that they can't really breathe. They don't get enough air in. So they start struggling to breathe. And then secondly, RSV, so just like a whole some other, other viruses, can cause a lot of inflammation. So in addition to the mucus being a lot and plugging the airways, plugging the tree, it also makes the tree get so ballooned out that even if the mucus is not as thick or even if it's not as huge, it can't really come out. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to like us bigger people, even kids, you need the bronchioles to be open for you to have like what we call exchange of air in and out. So when a baby, one, has a lot of secretions in the nose, they're trying to get out, and then two, down in those little airways, too, the air cannot go in and out. The oxygen level starts to go down, and then they start struggling to try to open up more airways to get the air in.
0: Okay, Mm -hmm. this this makes sense, and it sounds oddly familiar because... I don't know how similar this is to croup, but my son always, for years and years and years, I think up until about three years ago, would get the croup every single winter, sometimes twice, yeah. and it would get to a point where we'd have to call an ambulance, we'd go to the hospital, they'd have to give him steroids to inflate his, I assume, bronchioles, yeah. or what was it? So, that's,
1: so croup happens on top, like the larynx uh, up here, it okay. happens down in the bronchioles, So it's just about the same inflammation, maybe a little bit of mucus, and different look.
0: Okay. Okay. But similar kind of way to understand anyway, why it's a little bit more dangerous and why it's more common in, you know, younger babies and then younger toddlers probably versus maybe school age children and then adults. Like, are you saying that we would get it as adults, but we wouldn't really feel the symptoms the same way, or we can't even contract it at all?
1: So we can. Anyone can contract RSV, but there are people that who are at risk of having more severe symptoms. Mm-hmm. One, kids younger than two, but most especially kids who are, who are born early, like the premature babies. Mm-hmm. And then maybe kids who have any like immune compromise because now their body is working harder to breathe. And then another one is maybe those who have what we call neuromuscular problems, which means they try to have more muscle to be able to breathe or maybe it's to be able to produce the cough to be able to move on, those are the ones who are more on risk to get really sick. Okay. And then another, another interesting thing with babies is, especially when they're younger than six months of age, they can only breathe through their nose. They don't know how to open your mouth and breathe. Yeah. <laughs> oh. So, which is why when they get super congested, they don't know how to breathe through their mouth. They're struggling to keep breathing through their nose. And then you're noticing all those like discomfort of their nose flaring in and out, their chest sucking in and out because they're working harder to breathe through their nose. So, that's why it's a little bit different when you get
0: older, when you have those other mechanisms to make you cope. Right. Okay. Makes so much sense. So, what are some of the other symptoms that we might see, and how do we distinguish the symptoms of RSV uh, compared to like a cold?
1: So, it's that's a good question, but it's very hard. Sometimes you don't even know it's RSV versus like rhinovirus, but much as other things. Most things you see in RSV might be, may just be fussiness in a baby. They're extra fussy because now they have a lot of like snots and runny nose they can't really cope with. So, it might be some cough. Some kids may have feet. Some kids may just not want to feed again because they are working hard to breathe, or maybe they're uncomfortable trying to figure out what to do with their nose. So they usually have like decreased uh, intake. Other things may be looking lethargic, which is like really really tired, which is definitely you need to be seen. And then other things you might need to see is you may notice when your child breathes in and out, their nose keeps doing what we call flaring. It means it's moving in and out, trying to open up more airways. of course, like the sucking in of the throat, sucking in of the chest, those are other symptoms you may see in RSV. But you may just have like a runny nose and nothing else. Mm -hmm. And then to the question of being able to uh, tell if it's um, another virus or not, honestly, you cannot, if you don't do a test. And the reason is so many viruses, like they cross react with each other in terms of having the same symptoms. So even though uh, one of the concerns I have with parents is coming and say, "I want to know if my child has RSV or not," I'm like, I really understand. I would test your child if you're that young that needs to be admitted, or we need to know what room we have to go to. But it does not make a difference unless it's a child who is working hard to breathe. I want to know what else to do for your child versus what virus is causing it. Uh-huh. Does that makes sense. Yes. Yeah. That does. Yeah. Because if your child comes in unable to breathe. I'm not concerned about the type of virus. I just want them to get an oxygen. I want them to get some support to help them breathe better. So testing them in that moment to tell you what it is may not be priority for me. I just want to make a child comfortable first.
0: Mm-hmm. So is it's not really necessary then to kind of have to call a doctor or go into a hospital if you notice, let's say your child has a stuffy nose or they're fussy or they're not eating as well. They're, I don't know, kind of having symptoms of what you think might be a cold, or even if it is RSV, you're basically saying unless they're struggling and there's an actual kind of danger or difficulty breathing, then you would bring them in. Is that, did I get that right?
1: Yeah. So a little bit of, let me clarify. Okay. When it comes to babies who are premature and babies who are younger than one month of age, that's a completely different ballgame. The reason is RSV can also make them go apneic, which is like stop breathing. So, and that's like a high risk age. So when they have a lot of stuffy nose, they look uncomfortable, even if they're not struggling to breathe, you want to get your regular physician to check them out because they may qualify for babies that need to keep coming in to get checked every day in the hospital, or maybe even those that need to be admitted, even if they're not struggling to breathe, it depends on the child because they may stop breathing just with the runny nose. Gotcha. And then outside of that age, then we talk about like how uncomfortable is your baby? How how much are they feeding? How much are they having like urine output? So those are things I always like parents to calculate. Let's say, for instance, you're concerned about your baby who usually feeds maybe six ounces. Now they're feeding three ounces. It's not mm-hmm. unusual for a baby who is sick because now it's just like me. If I don't feel well, I don't eat as much. Mm-hmm. So going most RSV babies or most babies who have bronchiolitis or are sick, may slash about 50% of what they feed. But if you're going down to like 20, 30%, maybe from six
0: ounces to one, then we start getting concerned for dehydration and you want to get them checked out. Okay. So would you at that point be just recommending like some Pedialyte or any kind of like electrolyte drink to help with that? Or what other solutions can you do? Because I'm just thinking... A baby who's, let's say, you know, their nose is plugged, they're, they're struggling to breathe. I mean, being on a nipple, whether it be bottle or breast, it's hard, as you yeah. mentioned, right, for them to actually sit there and be comfortable and get that in. So you can't, I'm trying to think, of like, how would you, how would you get it in otherwise? Like, I don't even know the other options. So what are your yeah. suggestions there?
1: So, when I talk about like RSV or like all those breathing issues, I like to think about things to do in that three under three categories. One, suctioning, because mm-hmm. you have to make them comfortable enough for them to feed. If you're focusing on wanting to feed a baby and the baby can't even breathe, they will not be interested. So, I usually tell families one, suction when you think they're uncomfortable, suction before you feed, and before they sleep. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because then if they're if they're congested before they sleep, they will wake up every couple of minutes. They probably won't get a good night's sleep. And suction is a whole new conversation altogether, which most babies don't like. Parents are not comfortable doing it, but I always tell them think about what they look like after they've been suctioned. And then, two, is like the feeding and the hydration. So also depending on the age, of course, babies who are younger than six months, we always recommend breastfeeding or just formula feeding but what you have to do is one if your mom or a parent that breastfeeds directly you can consider expressing so that way you can see what volume you're making sometimes babies are more comfortable feeding on the bottle easier than on the breast itself when they're sick so you can express And what you can do is, if they typically feed like six ounces every two hours, you can divide the feed into two and just kind of give them some time to recover and breathe in between. So that way, they're not getting exhausted, but then they're still getting hydrated. And you're having like a volume of what they have, Mm -hmm. so that you can see. And then also, like, make sure you're documenting or keeping tabs of how many uh, wet diapers they have, and because that kind of gives you an idea of how dehydrated, well hydrated they are. Mm-hmm. And then, like thirdly, is watching to see how hard are they breathing and how uncomfortable are they? Because those are the ways you can decide. Oh, what do I need to do next? Are they having like the sucking in of the chest and the throat or the flaring of the nose? Then they have to be seen immediately, regardless of how frequently you're doing your suctioning.
0: Gotcha. Okay. And I like what you were kind of saying about when they're feeding to kind of break up their feedings over multiple, probably more frequent times throughout the day. So not to expect them to sit down and have a full six ounces, even if you've suctioned, even if you think you're making them feel more comfortable, it's not likely that they're going to be able to get through all that. So just more frequent. And that's something to expect. And I think even when I think about, you know, let's say they're on, on solids or let's say it's a toddler who's eating table foods at the table. We know any babies and toddlers who are sick, their appetite generally goes down, their interest yeah. level goes down, and that's totally normal. It's usually I know I get parents who are very very concerned when when they see that, but it's typically something that kind of works itself out over a few days. And the best advice I have, and I don't know if you have some extra input to put in there, but for me, it's fluids first, you know, give them as many fluids as as they want. And as you can kind of get into them because those electrolytes, yes, are very important. And the hydration is very important. And then you may want to, you know, kind of, I'm not saying cater to them in the sense that you're going to give them only, only offer the foods that they like all the time. But I would say, especially for a day or two, if you know, they easily take down yogurt or you know they easily take down that applesauce and again they're hydrating foods let's put that on the menu right so do your best to kind of just don't stress do what you can to get what you can into them and know that this is a passing phase and you can kind of get back to your regular variety and you know expectations after it's it's over but do you have anything to add to that in terms of the food piece?
1: No, I totally agree with you because sometimes we, as parents, get stuck on wanting to get down the rice or the beans at the time. This is not like, like you mentioned, it's a passing phase. So like things like yogurt, PDI popsicles, popsicles, ice cream sometimes, because that might be something that makes them comfortable, or that's one of the ways you can sneak in things they like, but also keep them hydrated. You can make a lot of the fruits into popsicles. So the target is just keep them hydrated. We Think about the other foods afterwards. 100%,
0: love it. Okay, so my next question is, how do you protect your baby from it? I know that when I had my kids, so we're talking a long time ago here, like 13 years ago, I remember hearing about the term RSV, but I'm not going to lie. I didn't know a whole lot about it. And I remember seeing some things kind of get circulated on social media. Don't let anyone kiss your baby. Don't let anyone hold your baby. And I was like, what? That's such an exaggeration. That's never going to happen at my home. You know, I have visitors coming and all this kind of thing, and I'm not going to tell them no. But as I've gotten older, more mature and more experienced, I'm realizing that that's totally within my right. But maybe you can explain what are the things that we should be doing? What do we need to look for? And especially compounded with COVID now, is there anything extra or maybe we're kind of doing it all with just typical COVID protocols?
1: Yeah. So I think, um, first of all, with or without COVID, I still do not, I usually say, don't let people kiss your babies because one, most adults might be sick, have so many things that you can't see visibly. And babies are so delicate. They're like a sponge. So they get those, they hold on to it, and then that's it. So I usually recommend maybe limit those kissing your baby. I would probably say parents can kiss because then they're your kids, you love them. But other people, I typically don't recommend that. And when it comes to like other precautions, it's all the other common precautions we're already doing now, like making sure you're washing your hands often, making sure if you're sick, don't go near the baby, don't visit families who are sick. Other things would be uh, make sure there's hand sanitizer besides, so even those who haven't washed their hands or have, They should sanitize their hands before they touch the baby. Of course, you have a younger one or two different kids who one of them is sick, one of them is not. You probably have to show them when, how not to kiss the baby, how not to cough and sneeze into the baby's faces. And then of course, you want to model the behaviors you're teaching them. So that way the younger or the older one can see what you're doing too. If your baby is sick or you think they're not completely feeling well, don't send them to daycare because what happens is the same virus you send to the daycare will come back to you at a point Mm -hmm. because for the baby, your baby may not be showing any symptoms, but by the time they circulate the second time, they may get it. So, and then of course, cleaning surfaces. RSV can stick on surfaces and toys for a long time. So, you want to make sure you're cleaning surfaces, washing your baby's toys if you're sharing with other kids or even other people. So, make sure
0: you're washing those too, because that's another exposure they can have. Okay. And quick question about washing, because I just thought of this now. Do you have a specific uh, recommendation? Do you use any kind of actual disinfectant or soap and water? Okay. And how frequently do you kind of recommend that parents do this, especially over the winter months?
1: You mean that the
0: toy washing toys or toys that their baby's touching often? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I think it depends on how many people are using it. Mm -hmm. I, I think like soap and water is good, like once a week. But if you're having like a high usage, probably once a week, you want to disinfect. You're usually I'm trying to I'm blanking out on a particular name, but you want to wash it down. Of course, the ones that are like swishy toys that can go into the washing machine, just pop it into the washing machine and wash with like regular laundry stuff. But once a week is like, for me, I would say it's ideal, depending on how much usage you're getting out of it too.
0: Okay, cool. And do you recommend that pretty much anyone who's around your baby should wear a mask as well? Oh yeah, definitely. I would say that, yes. Vaccinated
1: or not, I would definitely say everyone should wear a mask.
0: Yeah good tips. Okay. love it. Okay. That is very, very helpful. It definitely enlightened me a little bit more. And I, again, I know it's a serious issue, but I think I didn't really know the details around it and especially the symptoms to look for and when it's, you know, to go in and when not to, it's very, very helpful. And I know that uh, my listeners today are going to find this very valuable. So thank you so much. Um, Would you mind letting us know how we can learn more about you and your teachings and everything and anything you offer?
1: I am currently on Instagram. I'm also on TikTok. I'm on a Twitter, and my names are DR, which is like doctor underscore N for my first name. And then my last name, O R A J I A K A. I also have a website, my blog, it's drnkeiru.com.
0: Amazing. Well, thank you so, so much. I hope to have you on the podcast again soon. We can chat. I know there's a million other topics that (laughs) that I have around. I will be
1: happy to come back. (laughs) Yes.
0: Okay. Would love that too. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you.